Hello and welcome to Preparing Foster Youth for Adulting, the podcast designed to highlight strategies and resources that help youth in care transition to adulthood successfully. Our guest today is Barbara Sable. Barbara is the Senior Advisor of HomeWorks USA, which is a tiny home community for young people aging out of foster care in Lawrence, Kansas. Welcome, Barbara. Thank you so much for participating in our podcast series. How are you doing today? I'm fine. Thank you. Excellent. I'm glad to hear that. Well, I'm really interested in hearing about your organization, but before we get to that, I'd like you to take a few minutes and share about yourself, your journey in life, and how is it that you came to be connected with youth in the foster care system? Well, you may be sorry you asked that question because I've been living for 85 years, and many of those have been spent in systems that deal with children. I'm a registered nurse. I have a master's degree in counseling and guidance. I'm a mother, a grandmother, a great-grandmother, and a great-great-grandmother. Oh, my goodness. That's awesome. (laughs) Now... I think my journey into nursing solidified my interest in young people and children. And I might tell you this story. My mother tells this story of her childhood. Her mother passed away in childbirth. And she said to her husband, my mother's father, Charlie, don't let these children get separated. And that has stuck with me over time. And so that as I have worked in each job that I've had, I've always asked the question, is this good for the children? So I have worked in education. I've been an elementary school nurse. I've worked in a community college as an instructor. I've worked at a university as an assistant professor. I have worked in the private sector for General Motors, for Western Electric. I have worked in government at the local, state, and federal level. And I have worked in philanthropy. And in each of those spaces, I have focused on children to the degree that my scope of work would allow me to do so. Okay. And so were you in a nursing capacity in all those jobs or did you? I wasn't. Okay. 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 So when I was nursing, I taught nursing for a long time, but then I went into the policy arena as I began to work for local, state, and federal government. Ah, okay. So let me just give you an example. I worked for the state of New York as an executive deputy commissioner for the New York State Department of Social Services. I then moved to the city of New York, and I was commissioner for what was then called Human Resources Administration. And in that particular job, I had the responsibility for foster care, in which there were almost 50,000 children. Wow. So people would ask me, how many children do you have? And I would say 50,002, because I was the legal responsible party for those children. And one of the things that stood out for me during all that time is that I didn't know what happened when they left the foster care system. My statutory authorities ended, 
And my focus was on the children in foster care and what it was I could do to prevent children from being in the foster care system. So I had two responsibilities, prevention and support of those children and care of those young people who were in foster care. So that has driven this, I would call it personal need of mine to do something that would make a difference for young people aging out of foster care. So when I went into philanthropy, my focus was not on children. My focus mainly was in health. I was part of the health team at the W.K. Kellogg Foundation. But when you are part of philanthropy, you respond to proposals that are coming in. You request proposals to come in. So you have flexibility in shaping your work portfolio. And because I had that opportunity, I was able to focus on children. I think perhaps my biggest regret across my work journey has been that we have not given the attention to young people transitioning out of foster care that they deserve. And I hope when we get to discussing my project, I'll be able to talk a little bit more about how I think affordable housing can help young people transition out of the foster care system. Wonderful. So what was it that brought you to Homeworks USA? Is that something you started? Is that an existing organization that you joined? How did that all work out? Well, I moved to the state of, moved back to the state of Kansas. I've lived in Kansas, Michigan, New York, Missouri, Washington, D.C., so that I've geographically been in different places in the United States. And when I moved back to Kansas, part of my moving back was my parents were aging, and ultimately both my parents passed away. But they left to my sister and myself land, and it was the land on which my father had been reared. And he had been reared by his grandmother who had responsibility for my father, his siblings, another set of siblings that belonged to another daughter of my grandmother's who passed away, and other children. She raised them on this land. So my sister and I asked the question, what is it that we can do that will carry on the legacy of child rearing on this land? And we focused on young people aging out of foster care because it allowed me to respond to something I had not been able to respond well to when I was working. But in my retirement, it was something that I could do. So my sister and I both have dedicated ourselves now to building Homeworks USA, which itself will build affordable rental housing for young people aging out of foster care. And how much land is it? Well, we have about 22 acres, though we're not building on all that land. What we are doing is building, well, let me just give you a little bit of more background on how Homeworks USA came to be. My sister and I decided we wanted to build on the legacy, and we decided we wanted to build an intentional community that was based on three 
founding principles. Home works when it is affordable and when it is safe. Services matter regardless of life experience. It matters for all of us. And nature helps with our spiritual, physical, and mental health. So given that, we started out in about 2016, if I remember correctly. My daughter and I went to the Leavenworth County Planning and Zoning Department and said, we have this vision and this dream. How do we proceed? Well, we didn't get much encouragement because what we wanted to do was to build tiny homes that were single occupancy, so it would serve as a launch pad for these young people. We didn't get a lot of encouragement, but we did get some instructions on how to proceed. We finally got a building permit. Do you want to guess how long it took? I'm going to guess two years. It took until May of 2019. Oh my goodness. For us to get a building permit. We got the building permit And then we began to partner with an organization called Youth Build in Wyandotte County, Kansas, which was a federally funded program to help young people learn construction skills. So that when we built our first budget, we didn't build in any dollars to cover the cost of labor because the students were to be the labor. Well, this particular program was ultimately phased out And so we expanded our view of how we could marshal the resources of volunteers to help us with the construction, which we did. So we have now completed 10 tiny homes, which are single occupancy homes, which we hope will be serving as a launch pad for these young people as they transition to adulthood. And transitioning to adulthood has lots of choices and lots of challenges. And in fact, most of the choices are challenging and there are a lot of what ifs. And we hope to build an environment that is supportive so that we can help them on this journey to a thriving adulthood by supporting healthy choices that they themselves will be making. We are not a program We are providing affordable rental housing for young people 18 to 26. During that period, we will not raise their rent so that they can begin to save and and invest in themselves and in their own development. So we have a big vision. We have lots of volunteers who have come and assisted us in moving this vision. And we're hoping that we will have young people in the first five of the ultimately 15 houses that will be built. Ten are built, five more in the distant future. So the first five, when are you hoping to be able to have them move in? By the beginning of the school year. Ah, okay. Mm -hmm. And you say you're not a program. So I just want to get into that a little bit. Mm -hmm. So you're not necessarily like providing mentoring or casework support or anything like that. It's really just you're the landlords and you're kind of going to assist them from that landlord learning how to take care of a place they live in perspective. We are a landlord. You got Uh it. 
Yeah. But we will have what we are calling a community manager who will be a licensed social worker who will be available to those young people as they define things they need help with. So we're not a program in the sense that we say, you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to attend this. You, We are a landlord that is going to support them by connecting them to services that already exist. Fortunately, right. we exist in a community that is service rich. We're right outside Lawrence, Kansas. We're very close to Wyandotte County, Kansas. We're very close to Topeka, Kansas. So there are lots of services available. And sometimes the issue is not whether or not the service is available, but whether you know about the service. So the community manager will be that glue that the young people can seek out if they choose to do so, who will help them manage that. So in addition to fulfilling those landlord duties, we also will be supporting these young people in the choices that they make, whether it's employment, whatever it is that they decide they need help with, we will be there to support them. And that's one of the reasons we have decided that we're not going to raise the rent. We want them to be financially independent when they move to the next stage of their adult life. So how do you determine or how will you determine the level of the rent that they will be paying? Now, I think youth in this type of transitional housing program should pay some kind of rent so that they can learn how to manage their finances, right? And that would be part of it. You need to pay rent every month. That's- so I personally see that as a, a skill that they need to practice. So how are you going to be determining, because you're talking about affordable housing, if you're looking at, generally speaking, the rents for, say, a small one-bedroom in the area, how then do you determine what the young people will pay you? Well, we've done some analytical work here, and we found that the fair market rate in Leavenworth County, Kansas, in 2022 for a one-bedroom house was $875. We looked at what the wages were in that same time period. We looked at what the what HUD estimates people should pay from their income for housing. And usually they use the analogy about 30% you should pay for housing. So we looked at the 875, we looked at what the going average rate was for entry-level jobs, and we came up with rent of about $550 a month plus utilities. And I hope we have another opportunity to talk about utilities too, because each of these houses will have their own solar array attached to the house so that they will be able to do net metering. So to the degree that they conserve and we give them support to conserve, it could be that they would end up with the energy bill where they only pay transmission costs. Oh, was there an incentive for installing these no. or did you just decide, <laughs> you know, we're going to bite the bullet and pay for this? No. When we entered into this, we entered into it with a set of values. And those one of those values was making sure we had as small a footprint as we could have. I mean, that was just a given. This was an intentional 
community where we gave thought to all of those things before we marched ahead. So we have solar energy, we have high efficiency energy pumps, we have induction cooktops. All of these will be fully furnished. What else can I tell you that might be helpful? We hope to have up on the website very soon ways that young people who are transitioning from foster care can view these single occupancy homes to make a determination of whether this is something they'd be interested in because we're making it a healthy community. We have a community garden. We have an orchard. We're doing edible landscape as opposed to lawns. We're promoting the concept of composting, but we're also promoting the concept of how do we reduce food waste. So we're trying to create it as a healthy community in which you learn, you share, you move on a track where you are able to connect your actions and their impact with the larger community. Right. Well, with the idea of youth being able to see online these units, how do you intend on getting referrals of the youth? Are you partnering with local foster care agencies that might be able to refer the young people? Or is it really just open, you know, the apartments will be out there on Zillow or Trulia or whatever the program is, and it will have something in the description about being for this population? Well, it will certainly be on our website. And we're working with a number of volunteers who are part of our, I will call them our resident team, who will be headed by a social worker so that if I submit an application to lease this apartment, there'll be an application process where we determine if you can pay the rent, if you meet the criteria of being a foster child, aging out foster care child, somewhere between the ages of 18 and 26, we will make the selection on that basis. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so the traditional landlord reviews like employment history or employment status, credit history, that wouldn't necessarily be effective for you because these young people might not necessarily have those things in place. That's exactly right. You're helping them build them. Exactly. Yeah. This is the launch pad. This is a launch pad so that they can garner the support, the skills, and begin to make choices that will continue to move them to an adulthood that is thriving, to financial independence, to seeing themselves as part of a larger community with a larger, perhaps, responsibility for managing their footprint. Mm -hmm. Yeah, teaching those lessons young that will help ingrain them. Yeah. So we'll be having a curated materials that will be available to these young people on the computers that we will furnish. Every house will have its own access to computer, to the network. So even though we're in a rural area, they will still have access. And that's important because this is the way people communicate. Absolutely. So they'll be able to access computer education. They'll be able to look at the curated information that we have. They'll be able to contact management through the computer if they have difficulty with 
something in the housing unit, the lights went out or the, I need help with this or I need help with that. They'll be able to communicate that via computer. Right. Right. Wow. That's amazing. Now, will they be able to keep the computer when they leave or does that stay with the unit? Well, probably depending on how long they stay, it will probably be outmoded by the time. Well, that is a good point. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, things are changing so rapidly in this field that that's not something I've considered at this point in time. And they're going to have a lot of things stored on that computer. Exactly. If if it's outdated by the time they move out, you might as well give it to them and then get a new one for the next person. Exactly. And as these things are developed more and more, prices seem to be going lower and lower for many of these devices. Not so much the software, but certainly the device price seems to be. Right, right. No, software is a subscription model now, mostly. So you actually end up paying more in the long run. When I was, well, I'm 56. So when I was younger, of course, you'd buy the software and then you would just have it until it needed to be upgraded and then you would buy it again. Yes. So yes. now it's, you pay, usually pay some kind of monthly fee or annual fee. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> they found a way to keep getting your money. That's for sure. <laughs> and that's why these young people need to learn how do I manage my financial resources? How do I maintain my health? Yep. How do I contribute? How do I become part of a community? How do I become engaged in ways that are positive and uplifting? Yep, absolutely. Yeah. So how long will a young person live in one of these units? Is it a preset amount of time or are you going to have them live there until they reach certain milestones and goals? They will set their own goals. And their lease will determine how long they stay. They can stay from 18 until they're 26 years old. Okay. But at that point, there would be a requirement for them to move out. At that point, they should be ready to launch. Sure. Any of us who've been a parent know that our young people sometimes are not ready to launch at 18 or 19 or 20, and sometimes even 21. So the tenants will decide when it is they are ready to launch and move on. One of the other things I might mention to you is we have a workshop. And theoretically, if a young person wanted to and was interested in, they could build them a tiny house on wheels and wheel it out using their own sweat labor and wheel it out when they were ready to go. And you'd have people that could help them do that. There are people who would help them do that and would be excited about doing it. We have had extraordinary volunteers with extraordinary talents who are looking forward to opportunities to work with these young people should the young people be interested in what it is they have to offer. Yeah, and that goes beyond just they have a tiny home to take with them. It's the skills that they learn while they're building. Exactly, exactly. It's not just the tools, it's process, it's planning, it's measuring before cutting. It's how do you work with somebody who's an expert or an authority in such close proximity in a project like this. There's so much that they would benefit doing that. They benefit and the volunteer benefits. That's one of my lessons. I have learned so much from the volunteers who have worked on our project. 
I can handle lumber. I can handle mulch. I can do a lot of things I couldn't do before. Even at 85, I can do that. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) So how did you find the volunteers? Is it a close-knit community and you were able to find people through friends and family or is it through churches or I'm curious how you found your volunteers? Well, there are two main ways. We find volunteers and volunteers find us and volunteers find more volunteers who find us. (laughs) Let me give you an example of this gentleman who was, we're right off highway 2440. And this gentleman had been driving past, driving past, and he can see these little buildings coming up, but he didn't know what was going on. So one day he pulls up in the driveway and I'm there working and the contractor is there working. And he says, what's going on here? And we tell him, and he says, look, I used to build houses. Oh my goodness. He's now a volunteer. Oh, John is a volunteer and he comes regularly and he spends the day helping No job too big, no job too small. He just does it. Another example, my Frankie Foster Davis, who is the project director for this, was giving a little talk at Neighborhood Association, the Pinckney Neighborhood Association. She gave the talk about homeworks. And this gentleman says, you know, I work for a company and we're getting ready to tear up some turf at a school that they're going to tear down. And he said, they're just going to give away that artificial turf. He said, and it's only been down three or four years. Could you use it? And Frankie says, of course we can use it. So now (laughs) we have a volunteer who was willing to assist us in getting the artificial turf. And we have the artificial turf. And that artificial turf is going to serve as a pet playground or Oh, okay. So gotcha. if the young people have pets, there'll be a, I think there's a name for it, but I can't recall it offhand. They call them pet parks. Something like that. I don't have a dog, so I'm not sure. <laughs> well, I only have my neighbor Faye's dog, the neighbor Faye, <laughs> but there will be a pet park if young people should happen to have a pet. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And there's this great artificial turf ready to be used. That's fantastic. I tell you what, the what you're describing is such a great example of social capital, right? Yes. You know people who know people who know people. And if we all work together and tap into our social capital, we can do so much more than we can do just ourselves. Absolutely. And so your partners and your volunteers and all this social capital is going to do so much for these young people. And it teaches the young people the importance of social capital. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. And I will tell you that one of the principles that has been manifest during this process is that relationships are primary. All else is derivative. I didn't come up with that phrase. I heard it from Dr. Ron David many years ago, but he stressed that relationships are primary. All else is derivative. Let me give you another example of one of our volunteers who became a volunteer because a volunteer, Sherry Grogan, said, you know, I think the Baser Quilt Club would make quilts for your young people. 
So the Baser Quilting Club made quilts for all the young people with a commitment that when the young people leave, they can take their quilt with them and they'll make another quilt for the next person coming in. Oh, my goodness. So the next volunteer is the sister of one of the people who made the quilt. She now comes oftentimes several times a week, and she happened to go to this thrift shop run by the Sisters of Charity of Leavenworth. They have now become a major force in what it is we'll be able to do because a volunteer shopped there, brought furniture to homeworks that we're now restoring to put into these furnished homes. And so it's just a matter of dynamics, of a way of connecting with people so that they can see your vision and buy into it. Because one of the things that has been reinforced for me, we want our young people to succeed. We want them to be the best they can be. And when people see that they can contribute to that, they do. Absolutely. And, you know, it also, something came to mind about the young people and the transition between youth. So somebody moves out of a unit, somebody else is going to be moving in. Well, you could work with that young person moving out. Typically, when you have an apartment, you're expected to clean and fill in any holes and, you Mm -hmm. know, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Just make sure it looks nice when you leave. But you have a little bit extra to do to help get it ready for the next youth moving in. But I think if the prior youth helps you with that, it would give them a greater sense of satisfaction in the cleaning and the preparing because they know that they're going to be giving back to another young person. Absolutely. I think the other principle that we have used that's important to mention is that in addition to youth build, where there were young students learning construction, when we contracted for our solar energy, one of the parts of that contract was that they would help young people learn about solar energy. So we were able to take the young people from youth build, connect them with our contractor, Good Energy Solutions, so that they could learn solar. So the young people left with more skills than they would have gotten in the ordinary project. And Good Energy was able to pass on some of these skills in a field that is building. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? I'm just picturing you have a community of young people, 15 tiny houses. Certainly you could set up community events like, oh, we're going to have a community workshop on X, Y, or Z some evening. If you're, you know, if you're interested in attending, please come. And then the young people who are available could come and learn something from one of your volunteers, just like you're saying. Exactly. 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 I love it. And they can, they will design it. We're going to encourage them to have a tenants association. We're going to encourage them to go to the rural water district meetings to become engaged in the community. Yes. Yes. I love that idea. And I think having these community events, I mean, one of the things I've heard over and over again in these podcasts is making sure that young people have connections with peers who have had similar lived experience. Mm -hmm but in a positive environment so that they can help each other and encourage each other, right? Exactly. And you have set up such a wonderful way to help enable that and encourage that. And for them to be use their leadership skills, their communication skills. I mean, when you 
there's some parts in Kansas where people still don't have internet services. Well, here you are living in a tiny home that has fiber to home, high speed internet services. That in and of itself gives them avenues to do things that in many communities they wouldn't be able to do because they wouldn't have the high-speed internet to do them. So right. they are entrepreneurship opportunities mm-hmm. Yeah, using the internet. Sure, absolutely. And a lot of young people are interested in doing that approach to work, mm-hmm. finding something online. And if they have that opportunity. Now, I, a lot of people, <laughs> I've heard 25% of young people, let's call them Gen Zers, they want to be YouTubers or social media influencers, mm-hmm. which, you know, I think that's great, but it's kind of like somebody who wants to be a Broadway star. Let's talk about how you get there, but let's also talk about a backup plan. What else could you do? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, they're still going to have to pay rent. Yes. Yes. So they have to actually bring in money. Right. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, I tell you what, this is such an amazing program. And Tiny Homes has been something that I've been hearing about for the past, oh, I don't know what, seven, eight years in connection to young people aging out of foster care. And I'm hearing about it more and more often. That's great. And I think it's just such a, I don't want to call it easy, but I find that it might be an easier route than building an apartment building or purchasing an apartment building or something like that. You know, it just, it just might be a way to go, an alternative that other organizations that, or churches or some other, what are the home building companies that do this kind of work, Mm -hmm. affordable housing, Mm -hmm. if they can get the land, this is an opportunity that so many young people could benefit from. Mm -hmm. Yes. And we hope that we are documenting our progress and our challenges and our opportunities as we go along so that other people can benefit from the lessons that we are learning every day. And I think one of the important lessons is to listen to the young people who have lived experience in foster care. Right. Their voice is critical. I'll tell you a little short story. We had a focus group of young people who were in foster care when we were trying to decide what kind of appliances were necessary. And we said, do these young people really need an oven? Do they really need this? Do they really need that? And so one of our people convened a group of foster children and had a structured focus group on the question of appliances. And by gender lines, it broke out like this. Girls wanted an oven. Boys said, what do you need an oven for? (laughs) The girls were thinking about Thanksgiving and Christmas and visitors. The boys were not. So there was a clear differentiation there. But in these tiny homes, they will have access to both types of of appliances. (laughs) And these are open to young men, young women. You're not putting any restrictions on that. No, 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 no. They're single occupancy, and gender has nothing to do with whether or not you can be a tenant. Okay, okay, great. Well, I kind of assume that, given your model, but for those listening, anybody who lives in your area might be interested in knowing what kinds of restrictions there might be. So, so far what I'm hearing is 
they must be 18 to 26 years old. Mm -hmm. I'm gathering 18, meaning they've aged out of foster care. Mm -hmm. Or they are aging out of foster care within a time period before they move into the. Sure. Mm -hmm. Got it. Got it. So do they have to have been like just aged out or did they just have to have foster care experience? Just have foster care experience. Yes. Okay. So they might've been reunited with their family at 15. But at 18, they could, if they were in foster care for two, three, four years when they were younger, they could still apply? They could still apply. Okay. Okay, great. Got it. All right. And are there any other restrictions? Well, I don't even like the term restrictions, but this is an application to rent a single occupancy, fully furnished home. And so they will go through a vetting process that will make the determination whether or not they can meet the lease requirements, and we'll go from there. For some young people, this is a rural setting. They may not be interested in a rural setting, though we're just, we're very close to Lawrence, Kansas. We're very close to Tonganoxie, Kansas. So it's, is this an environment in which I could live and contribute and grow in? Can I pay the rent? I go through the application process. Somebody says yay or nay, and that's it. We go from there. Okay. Now, you've mentioned you're rural a couple times in a rural area. Mm -hmm. What kind of transportation would be available to the young people? Do they have to provide their own, or is there a bus line, or a, you know, how would the young people get to jobs, for example? Well, we will be providing a shuttle service that will take the young people from the site into Lawrence, Kansas, to a major bus hub, and then they can take the bus to wherever they need to go. Or they can, if they have a car, they can certainly have a car. They could certainly bike, though we are worried about that because we are on the highway. But, you know, my kids lived in the country and they bike, or one of them did bike at least. So, but we do have a shuttle service and they will be able to sign up for that, and we will. We hope to have an electric vehicle that will take them. We know we will have an electric vehicle that will take them to the bus hub in Lawrence, Kansas. Okay, okay. And that free shuttle will take them to the laundromat because we're in the country, so we're on a septic system. So there will not be laundry facilities on site, but if they sign up, the shuttle will be available once a week to take them to the laundromat if they need to go. Okay. Okay. So we have tried to think of those things that parents provide for their children that oftentimes these young people don't have access to. Right. And build them into an affordable housing concept that if you have affordable housing, that is safe, you can begin to think about other things. You're not worried about, are you going to be sheltered from the rain, from the sun, from the snow? Those are things you can take off your plate and you can begin to think about the next step in your adulting life. <laughs> right, exactly. Wow. Well, I love the idea of this community that you're building and I wish all the best for you. And I want to keep track of how things are going. Maybe in a year or so, we can get back together and learn how things are going after you have young people. I think that would be wonderful if we can follow up with you and hear more about the success stories. But before we sign off, I wanted to just ask you, 
if you have any ideas about what the foster care system could do better to prepare these young people for adulthood, I'm always interested in talking about solutions. Do you have any ideas about that? Yeah, I have a couple of ideas. One of them is improved communication with those young people who are moving toward that age of aging out. And I'm reminded of the Medicaid provision that now allows young people who are aging out of foster care to be eligible for Medicaid, if they were eligible for Medicaid as foster children, to any state in the union. But the young people have to know about that. Yes. And somehow we have to communicate that. Here in Kansas, we have to make sure that we're communicating that there is a waiver. I'll call it a waiver. They may call it something else that forgives tuition at the University of Kansas if they chose to go there. How is it that they find out about the programs for education and vocational training? So it's communication with the young person, not just the case manager knowing it, but the young person themselves know it. I think the other thing I would say about the foster care system is that from the moment that they are in the system, you must begin to prepare them for the next stages of their development. And so you don't wait until they're 15 to start talking about financial responsibility. You don't wait until they're 18 to start talking about, well, where are you going to live after this? It should be an ongoing part of the foster care program. And I think, as always, we need to do something to assure that the number of young people for which any caseworker is responsible is a number that allows them to provide the connections and support that the young people need while they're in the system. Yes. <laughs> so many are so overworked. They're, and they have so many cases. Yes. Their caseload is just staggering. Yes. And we can do something about that. And we should and we must. Mm-hmm. I think those are excellent suggestions. I think the improved communications is tough because you'd have to have some centralized manner, statewide potentially, that might connect to a federal communications portal that would provide this information to young people. But then you'd have to make sure that the young people have that information, you know, how to access it. But just, you know, you might you can't just assume that a caseworker is going to hear about policy changes. Or hear about them timely. Exactly. Because there might be deadlines for certain things. And you just can't expect a caseworker or foster parents, no less, to be able to keep track of all of that and feed that information to the young people. So I think there has to be something that is centralized that young people can go to and that every young person in foster care knows, oh, yeah, that's the portal where we can get all the information about everything we need to know moving forward with our lives. Right. And you know, the other thing I forgot to mention to you, three of the 10 first units that will be available, three of them are ADA compliant. Oh, okay. That's fantastic. Yes. Was that a requirement? No, nope. by... that's a requirement nope. that we placed on ourselves because Excellent. sometimes we forget that children, young people who have been in foster care, 
may have disabilities. Mm -hmm. And when they age out, some of those disabilities do not disappear. No, they do not. I love that you have that in there. Now, are they going to be reserved for young people who have those needs or will they be available? They'll be available if. They'll be available if. Okay, Mm -hmm. gotcha. Well, you know what? I have loved this conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time, Barbara, to talk to me today about Homeworks USA, and I'm excited to track your progress moving forward. Before we end things, though, I want to ask, do you have a website that you can share? Sure. It's homeworks-usa.com. Okay. And if anyone needs to get in touch with us, it's ffosterdavis at gmail.com. She's the project director. F is in Frank mm-hmm. Foster Davis mm-hmm. at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Well, we'll make sure that we have your website address linked under the podcast on our website. I thank you so much, Barbara, for participating. We're going to have to wrap things up. We're done with our time today, but good luck with everything. I'm going to keep my fingers crossed for you that you can start getting young people in there soon. And I just love it. I hope more people think about this tiny home model as a solution for their area as well. Come and visit us. There you go. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thanks again. And for those who have listened to the end of this podcast, thank you very much. We put out a podcast every couple of weeks or so. You can find them on agingoutinstitute.org. Just look for the podcast link, or you can find it pretty much through any podcast distribution platform. You can find us there as well. So thanks again. And until next time. 